Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a term that's very familiar to um, many, if not most people today, but that many people just think of in a limited sense as a kind of physical exercise. But yoga is actually a Sanskrit word uh, with a much broader meaning. It means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. So Kriya Yoga is a wide system, including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Our topic today is a new year and a new you. As we begin a new year, how can we bring our lives more into harmony with our higher true self? What does yoga have to teach about living a balanced life and reaching our full potential? Today we're going to be discussing how wisdom from the Vedas can guide us in regaining optimal health, pursuing spiritual awakening, and living a life of balance and fulfillment. We'll be covering some practical tips to help you get the new year off to a great start. And my guest today to help us do that are a two of really the, you know, the guiding lights, uh, of of uh, um, Vedic education uh, today, uh, we have uh, Vedacharya David Frawley and Yogini Shambhavi. So um, they're. Uh, 
I'll, I'll begin by giving some background on uh, Vedacharya David Frawley, who also is called uh, Pandit Vamadeva Shastri. He's a Western-born teacher in the Vedic tradition. In India, Vamadeva is recognized as a Vedacharya, which means a Vedic teacher, and includes in his scope of studies Ayurveda, Yoga, Vedanta, and Vedic astrology, as well as ancient Vedic texts. He's the author of more than 30 books available in 20 languages worldwide, including his most recent book, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling, which he co-authored with Dr. Suhas Shursagar. Yogini Shambhavi is a mystic yogini, guide, and teacher rooted in the ancient teachings and traditions of Shakti worship. As an important woman teacher in the Shakti tradition of India and the Himalayas, she she aims to draw one deeper into the yogic reality, helping to awaken the universal power of nurturing within us. She has authored two books on the mother goddess in India, as well as two powerful mantra chanting CDs in the traditional style. So more information about them and their teachings is available at their website, vedanet.com, V-E-D-A-N-E-T.com. So welcome, Vamadeva and Yogini Shambhavi. I'm delighted you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. Yes, we're very happy to be here. Thank you. Pranam and namaskar to everyone. It's um, always such an honor to uh, be here on your beautiful uh, Yoga Hour program. And uh, New Year greetings and blessings to everyone tuned in to Mm -hmm. this beautiful experience of the Yoga Hour. Lovely. Well, before we begin our dialogue about Vedic teachings to help us launch this new year, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Om. So let's begin by turning our attention within. We can start by taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Our breath is a wonderful tool to help bring our attention and awareness to the present, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. We can observe our breath, not trying to change it, just noticing its natural flow. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our heart to the divine, the divine love that is the essence of our being. This one reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and right now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present and noticing We can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. 
We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being and we allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Vamadeva and Yogini Shambhavi, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Let's start let's start our conversation talking a little bit about the new book that Vamadeva co-authored with Dr. Suhas Shursagar, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling, which is full of wisdom of how to live life in the highest way. And let's also talk a little bit about the upcoming program on Vedic counseling that you both will be involved with through the American Institute of Vedic Studies. So, Famadeva, let's start with you. So, what is Vedic counseling and what role do you see for Vedic counseling today? Uh, Yes. Well, first we have to understand what Vedic knowledge is. Vedic knowledge is an integral knowledge of self and universe in which we understand that the entire universe dwells within us in our own hearts and that our entire being is a manifestation of the same organic, dharmic, and spiritual laws behind the universe as a whole. That Vedic knowledge is, exists as a series of, of texts called the Vedas, ancient mantric texts, but also in Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita we have a better and clearer picture to our modern language and in these systems of the uh, Vedantic teachings and uh, philosophy. So there's also a Vedic tradition that is ongoing besides the text, and many great gurus in that tradition have come uh, throughout the world in uh, modern times. So out of the tradition of Vedic uh, knowledge, there are various aspects of Vedic education, Vedic guidance, Vedic counseling, ways of living better lives, connecting to our inner self and uh, higher reality, and even dealing with specific problems that we have. Vedic counseling is a more personal aspect of guidance based upon Vedic values, uh, Vedic knowledge, and the Vedic view of the human being. So this is very much the same view as the system of yoga, an integral view, we say that Veda is the knowledge and yoga is the practice, so these Mm -hmm. two are always uh, going on uh, together. So Vedic counseling is a way now of introducing the broader system of Vedic knowledge, life guidance, and education to the world uh, today. We've picked up pieces here and there, but this is a background master discipline or overview that helps us live the optimal dharmic yogic lives that are possible for us. Mm, that's a, such a lovely description. So when you talk about Vedic counseling, I was curious about how it relates to existing disciplines such as Ayurveda or yoga therapy. Can you comment on that? Uh, yes, it's a very important point. You see, Veda is the background system of knowledge 
of which things like yoga, Ayurveda, Vedic astrology, Vastu, even Sanskrit, even a lot of the Indian music, dance, etc., were subsets that developed over a period of time or for specific things. So we could say that Vedic counseling gives us the overview to integrate and understand the place and appropriateness of all the other Vedic disciplines. Yoga arises as the application of Vedic knowledge, and also there, which is through the Gita, and also through the Yoga Sutras. There is Yoga Darshana as one of the six schools of Vedic philosophy and Vedic thought. In Vedic counseling, we look at yoga therapy more in the context of psychology, which is also the main way that uh, uh, yoga is applied in the Gita and the Yoga Sutras, managing our emotions, our thoughts, controlling our power of attention, senses, and all of that. So you might say a more of a model of the uh, Raja Yoga than the mm-hmm. model of the Asana Yoga, although that always has its place in helping us with right exercise and right relationship with the uh, physical body. Relative to Ayurveda, Vedic counseling is a very important part of the lifestyle recommendations of Ayurveda through diet, exercise, but also behavioral principles, values like yamas and niyamas of uh, yoga. And like yoga, uh, the Vedic counseling as dealing with the psychology or the Ayurvedic approach to healing the mind, which is promoting more the uh, sattva guna. And in this mm-hmm. context, also the Vedic counseling brings into Ayurveda more of the yoga psychology and the Vedantic psychology and the Vedantic thought, which helps us understand this inner self. Uh, we are the self that is integrally related with the universe as a whole. So Vedic counseling helps us understand the deeper uh, psychological and spiritual aspects of yoga and Ayurveda, but it also provides us tools of communication, uh, developing rapport. One of the best ways of developing rapport is to see the other person as a reflection or aspect of our own self. That's the key mm-hmm. principle, you might say, of the uh, Vedic counseling. But at the same time, other attitudinal changes, other attitudinal uh, recommendations. So Vedic counseling gives yoga therapy and Ayurveda an additional aspect of life guidance, counseling, support, communication, which can make the teaching and the practice and the classes of the yoga teacher or the Ayurvedic teacher uh, more effective and better at uh, connecting at a deep level with the clients and students. It also seems to me, and you did mention this, that um, that there's a spiritual kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like container. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the Vedas um, and yoga really look at um, our lives as a spiritual path. And it seems as to me as though um, that Vedic counseling really includes that aspect, whereas sometimes I think people sort of draw back from it maybe including that as part of Ayurveda, you know, for example. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you'd agree. Oh, yes, Laura, you're, you're perfectly correct. The Vedic counseling is, is emphasizing life as an adventure and consciousness, the quest for higher self-realization. But, of course, in our interaction with people, we kind of start where they are and kind of lead right. them where they are open. And even right. yoga and Ayurveda 
are eventually uh, directing people in that way, but sometimes people get sidelighted on the on the physical only, and the Vedic counseling makes sure that uh, we are taking the broader view of life and consciousness. Exactly, as as we do uh, at, here on this program, really look at yoga in the broadest possible sense, and you know, really look at it uh, at the spiritual component as well as just the you know the physical. So, I'd like to to uh, ask a couple of questions for uh, Yogini Shambhavi now. So, I know uh, Shambhavi, you are very active in the areas of Vedic counseling and also uh, bhakti and devotion. So, let's look at Vedic astrology. So, what role is there? of Vedic astrology in Vedic counseling? Well, the yoga shakti draws our attention to really understand the cosmic universe, that it is auspicious and nurturing. And we human beings and seekers need to learn to tap into this auspicious divine nature. So the Vedic astrology shows us with immense clarity what soul potentials we are born with and also when and how we can manifest them in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. So it helps us understand our karma, what karma we have brought into this birth with us, giving us uh, keys to all aspects of life, whether it is relationships, spirituality, career and work and also enabling us to fulfill our realistic dreams and spiritualizing the life. Mm-hmm. So the Jyotisha guides us in perceiving and in many ways understanding the movement of the heavenly forces relative to our relationship with the universe, reflecting the secrets of our psyche and our innermost self. So in every individual there is uh, this honest quest for truth, for happiness, fulfillment, knowledge, wisdom. And uh, really, most everything we do in life is steered towards cultivating this happiness and wisdom um, in, in one form or another. Mm-hmm. So, Yes. The Jyotisha is an important part of Vedic counseling, which uh, truly aims at giving us a profound understanding of ourselves through a deeper appreciation of our destiny. It mm-hmm. is important to acknowledge and appreciate our destiny because only then can we work towards steering our destiny in a perspective spiritual direction. Right, so in right. In many ways, this provides uh, an interesting map of the karmic forces active in shaping our lives. And um, these astrological forces are powerful in that they affect our psyche, either promoting a higher awareness or even obstructing the truth. You know, so the Vedic chart reveals the energetics of the planets and stars, which... Uh, mm-hmm merely provide indications and energies that if we do become aware of or conscious, then we can learn to steer these forces in a more positive manner to maneuver our karma and life. So it's guidance, really. Heavenly guidance, I would say. Cosmic guidance. (laughs) That's lovely. Lovely uh, phrase. uh, Heavenly cosmic guidance. That's great. 
So turning to to uh, then bhakti or devotion, so what is the role of, of bhakti in Vedic counseling? And as I was thinking about this, it struck me that the, there's, you know, potentially the this, you know, bhakti uh, approach or this, um, you know, this this devotional aspect is important not only for the one being counseled, but also for the counselor, the, you know, the one who's actually doing the counseling. So, so can you comment more on that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think spiritualizing our lives both in the counseling as in the counselor is really uh, the key, you know. And um, if you look at the history of Vedic yoga, it is intertwined with the sacred history and dharmic views of India and its great spiritual traditions. So the purpose of Vedic counseling is to cultivate a yogic mind as um, the vehicle to take us to the yogic consciousness that is one with all. So Mm -hmm. every Vedic counselor's experience must reflect a higher level of intuition, insight, inner experience. Um, an ability to look beyond mere information to more enduring dharmic principles and eternal values. So in today's age, people really want to take a concept and run without having spiritualized the teachings in their own personal life. So mm. Devaji has really spiritualized these Vedic principles in his life over nearly 40 years before mm. sharing it in his Vedic counseling book. So bhakti plays uh, an intrinsic part in understanding our true nature. Mm. And bhakti yoga must awaken the inner witness relative to which the movements of the mind or our emotions and senses, experiences are understood as uh, mere outer fluctuations or variabilities. So bhakti yoga is a means of helping us understand our inner being and holding our awareness within its purity. Mm. So through pure devotion, our true self or inner being connects us to the divine as the universal reality and to all Mm. creatures uh, and to all of existence. So bhakti takes us beyond our bodily, intellectual, or emotional view of the self to a deeper oneness with the infinite. Yes. And the yoga pursuit of realizing the self rests upon its particular understanding of this true nature of the higher self. Mm Yes. Yes. Well, and with that, unbelievably, the time's just flying by. Uh, we've come to the, the break. Um, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guests, authors and Vedic educators, Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. You can find out more about them at their website, vedanet.com. That's V-E-D-A-N-E-T dot com. Uh, we welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll explore tips for dharmic living. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Unity. 
Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. Vamadeva is the author of more than 30 books available in 20 languages worldwide and includes topics in Ayurveda, Yoga, Vedanta, and Vedic Astrology. And Yogini Shambhavi is a mystic yogini, guide and teacher, and author of two books on the Mother Goddess in India, as well as two powerful mantra chanting CDs. And their website again is vedanet.com. 
So let's turn our discussion now to some uh, tips for more for living in a uh, way that's more consistent with uh, with Dharma. So Vamadeva, in your new book, uh, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling, you mentioned that Dharma is really the foundation of Vedic counseling, which can also be referred to as Dharmic counseling. So how do you define Dharma and why is learning about Dharma and living in accord with Dharma so important? Uh, yes, Laurel, it's, it's, a, it's a very important thing. Dharma is one of those untranslatable terms, but to give you the gist of it, Dharma is the inner essence, the law of being, the purpose, the value, even the ultimate goal. So when we're talking about the human being, our Dharma is our purpose in life, but not our outer purpose of, you know, just... Uh, material success or what we want to do in the outer world. Dharma is the soul's purpose, what we came in this incarnation to achieve spiritually. Of course, that is higher awareness at one level, but it also may be something more specific, taking up a certain sadhana yoga practice, taking up a certain career, doing a certain service to people, studying certain uh, subjects. So understanding our soul purpose in life, and once we have that, then we have the foundation foundation of integrating and bringing in all the other aspects of life, giving them a central point along which they can really work and have their proper orientation and keep us grounded in our inner divine reality rather than getting us lost in the outer world of Maya. Mm. Yeah, just um, really a lovely, lovely description. And I know that um, Sanskrit Dharma is one of many Sanskrit words that has just so many, you know, levels of meaning. Um, but I think you did a really nice, nice job of of talking about it as really the soul's uh, purpose. And who who wouldn't want to live life more in line uh, with that? I mean, I think that all of us um, have that have that desire. Um, have that deep kind of inner pull. So karma is the understanding that our lives are a product of our own actions. So how do dharma and karma interact? Yes, you know, one of the most important things we need to do is to assume karmic responsibility for our lives. Other people influence us, but two-thirds of who we are is the product of what we ourselves have done. So we must give up this view of blaming others, being victims, thinking that other people have caused us to be who we are or are limiting us from being who we really want to be. So only when we take karmic responsibility for our lives can we really work with and manifest our dharma. And we do that by affirming our soul's purpose in taking this particular birth and and facing the difficulties that are there for all of us, but using them as challenges for a deeper growth. So mm-hmm. then our karma and our action will manifest our dharma and will build our dharma. And that's not just simply our personal fulfillment. It's also what we are here to do for the benefit of all beings and to manifest the divine light in the world and aid the evolution of consciousness in humanity, which, as we know, karmically is still not a very evolved species, and we all need to work together to bring more peace, happiness, and enlightenment into the world. Mm, No, indeed. 
So this is uh, the beginning, a few weeks into now, the, the new year, and it's a time that many of us really look at our lives and try and make changes to make them more consistent, I think, with our, with our higher um, our higher true self, that little, that small, you know, still voice within that, that is our, you know, our guidance. There's lots of ways that we can live more in accordance with our higher true self and in accordance with Dharma. And I, I like this quote from Paramahansa Yogananda, his advice about this. Don't try and change in yourself what is good, but those things you do against your will and that make you unhappy after you have done them are what you want to get rid of. How? Affirm with conviction before going to bed and on arising in the morning. I can change. I have the will to change. I will change. Hold to that thought throughout the day and carry it with you into the subconscious land of sleep and the superconscious realm of meditation. So this is a time when people are really looking to make some changes. So Vamadeva, when someone wants to begin to live a more dharmic life, is there one practice that you would encourage them to begin? Like, where do we start? Um, well, often we try to find each individual is different and may have a different doorway. But I think the first thing is is to bring meditation into life. And I would say in the beginning, at least do some meditation before you go to sleep at night so you can clear the mind of what has, you know, come into it during the day. And there are many techniques, many approaches, but the main thing is to cultivate inner silence, peace, letting go, surrender, affirmation of the greater universe of consciousness in which we live, and then on that build uh, what begins to unfold and flow within your own deeper awareness and aspiration, make meditation an aspiration to discover the divine within. Mm. Oh, just really lovely, and and I certainly have found that to be a key practice in my in my own life. So, Yogini Shambhavi, let's let's talk with you um, about we we were talking a little bit earlier about devotion, about bhakti, which is one of the four paths of yoga. So, what role does devotion play in living a dharmic life? Good, pure uh, devotion connects us to our inner source of love, light, and bliss. And karma and dharma interweave our lives, drawing us to experience the presence of every moment as sacred, or it should. So we must learn to understand and transcend karma through a dharmic yogic view of life where all beings have their place in the universe. So our karma or action should be dharmic and in harmony with the great laws of nature. Mm-hmm. So yes. the, the yogic thought upholds uh, its own view of the world, humanity, nature, and um, the bhakti tradition of ancient India has its own deeply spiritually oriented school of thought, which our modern culture should cultivate for creating a more harmonious universe because the dharmic Mm. view makes us aware that we all live in a conscious universe which you know it calls the purusha or the cosmic being so the purpose of uh, drawing in bhakti into this dharmic lifestyle is to realize this cosmic being the conscious universe within ourselves in the shakta or mother goddess tradition the entire universe 
past, present, future, or creation dwells within our hearts and can be best understood as part of our deepest nature. And this is where Bhakti Yoga plays an intrinsic role for us to nurture and harmonize our true nature at its deepest core. Yes, so Bhakti Yoga orients us to appreciate and revere Mother Nature, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is called Prakriti. So ritualizing our lives, drawing us to knowing and celebrating our inner being or the Purusha is the key. And this is where Bhakti Yoga connects us closely to nature and guides us in returning to a natural dharmic way of living, which is the foundation for cultivating our spiritual zest in life. Mm. Oh, it's just uh, really lovely. And um, the the really living the awareness of the world as a sacred place, mm-hmm. um, which is so easy to forget. <laughs> we, we forget it all of the time. Um, but mm-hmm. to have that as uh, something that we try and uh, remember on a daily basis and live uh, from that place to spiritualize in that practice, you know, making, recognizing the sacredness of the world, you know, really does help spiritualize our life. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about, um, about this, um, uh, idea of devotion or this, these practices of devotion. So if, if one wanted to begin, um, again, this is a new year, a new beginning, um, wh- what one practice of devotion would you recommend that where people can start? I think, um, as Vamadevaji beautifully puts it in its simple truth, is that true yoga is about being and not simply about doing. So mm-hmm. in our modern yoga world, we are more caught up uh, in a culture of doing, you know, where we are taking in weekend programs, learning to work out, pursuing entertainment or, you know, following techniques and, you know, really filling our lives with hectic activity. So we need to learn to slow down, meditate on what we really grasp or learn. So really, where is the time to experience all this knowledge? Mm -hmm. So if we do approach any yogic wisdom, we usually really want to know what we can do with it and what yoga practices we can add to our, um, you know, activities or even to make a livelihood. But bhakti yoga must first guide us in knowing and understanding ourselves. And for that, as you even mentioned earlier, our meditation is so important, but meditating on our own inner truth and reality. Mm. That is Mm. the most uh, important key, I think, to realizing our spiritual quest in life. Yes, uh, um, I don't think meditation can be overly uh, overly stressed as a really, really important practice. Mm -hmm. when you when you talked about uh, the the importance of being and not just doing, um, I do think that's something that is really an important thing to watch in our lives because we are a culture that that values the doing much more yeah. than you know than than being, um, and so having even just a, a very short you know break 
um, you know, during the workday to remember to take, to do a simple med- meditative practice like the one that I use to begin the program, which is where we really take a fully conscious breath and it, and it doesn't have to be longer even than one breath. Everybody has the time to do one breath, uh, to take that fully conscious breath and, you know, be, uh, where you are and focus on being. And if you get the chance of being in nature, anywhere in nature, really, I think it's a lovely place to be. And hopefully when you're in nature, you're not on your cell phone or you're not texting anybody. <laughs> you're just being there, you know, in, uh, in nature. Um, and appre- and appreciating that, um, that, uh, rhythm of nature that, um, that brings us back to our, our deepest self, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the yoga must first guide us in knowing and understanding ourselves. And we must yes. first be in touch with our true reality and inner being. So our own truth is usually obscured by, you know, a shadow veiling, which really lures us to all these worldly pursuits. So meditative and contemplative um, bhakti attitude draws us to a greater revelation of our true self. And when Mm. we are comfortable in our true self, that is when we experience uh, the natural flow of meditation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as people want to begin to have a more devotional you know, approach, bring more bhakti into their life. Um, I think many people, maybe most people think that's a good idea, but, and yet, you know, there are barriers. So what barriers do you see your students encountering as they take steps to live a life of devotion? And, and what advice do you give them to help them overcome the barrier? You know, in today's uh, yogic uh, world, this is such an important and relevant question. Because uh, even as a spiritual guide and teacher, and even as a sadhaka, one continuously experiences um, seekers, students, ourselves. We are unable to comprehend and face our own truth. Uh, More so, I have experienced that seekers conceal their truth behind a veiling of devotional spirituality. And this can be very grievous. Um, as they begin to believe in a reality which is not their truth. Mm. So behind this secret shadow veiling is really an underlying turbulence waiting to explode, which Mm. finds expression in dark dreams, rejection of partners, you know, a holier-than-thou attitude, unrealistic ambitions, even hidden anger, moodiness, resentment, and frustration. So healing at a deep core level is most essential to embark on this devotional spiritual path. Mm. And for this deeper healing, one has to come face to face with one's reality. Everyone has had some suffering and, you know, trying childhood experiences. But in the Vedic thought, reverence of the parents is uh, most important, especially the mother. Mm. So this takes Um, a lot of contemplation to really come to a point of compassion and love and unless we cannot experience love and compassion for ourselves, with ourselves it is very difficult to truly be loving with the other and this is why 
our relationships uh, on a more personal level suffer. So it's important to heal and mm. be one with uh, nature, which is uh, our truth and our reality. Mm. Well, that... Um I think that inner healing, as you've mentioned, is is so important. And um, although it, it's uh, um, perhaps tempting to skip over this inner work, I think, of course, everyone must do that. Everyone must, you know, what must um, come to grips with their, you know, with their um, history and find forgiveness for themselves and others and um, begin to live from a from a uh, deeper place so Vamadeva um, let's come back to you and the Vedas teach that there are three gunas or qualities which are sattva rajas and tamas and that everything in the world is made up of a combination of these three gunas including ourselves and our consciousness sattva guna is light Tamas guna is heavy and dense, and Rajas guna is agitated. So when we, when we live dharmically, we try to increase sattva guna and reduce tamas and rajas. So what do you see as some of the benefits of increasing sattva guna? Well, let's put this in a little bit uh, clearer perspective. Also, a psychological perspective, according to Ayurveda and yoga, rajas and tamas, though they have their place in nature, become toxins or disease-causing factors, disturbance-causing factors at the level of the mind, which is the, should be the level of sattva. When the mind looks within, it's sattvic or clear or bright or perceptive nature is revealed. problem is when it looks without, it gets caught in the rajas of the senses and in the tamas of the body. So one of the most important therapeutic principles for treating the mind in yoga and Ayurveda is to increase uh, the uh, sattva guna. Now let me put this also a little more into the yogic perspective. There's one aspect of the yoga sutras that people tend to miss uh, in the practice of asanas and pranayama, even mantra meditation, is what is called chitta prasadana, or the clarification, purification, calming of the mind or the chitta down to the deepest subconscious level. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's called chitta shuddhi or chitta shodhana. That meaning that we need to bring some emotional peace, calm, uh, letting go. We all have our emotional turbulence, but we can counter it. Uh, we can transcend it. And this is the basis of the call to increase uh, sattva guna. But what happens in our lives is that we're not aware of the gunas at work around us, and we are living in a culture where, for example, in the outer society, the quality of rajas or aggression, competition, is overly stressed. I'm not saying it doesn't have a place for children's sports or other activities or even some necessary ambition in life, but the rajoguna is there in a big way in our behavioral patterns. And Mm -hmm. the tamas, the inertia, is there in our lifestyle. We spend most of our time living vicariously off of other people in front of some screen where they are running our lives uh, and our minds. So yoga has always emphasized increasing the sattva guna because when the mind is clear and calm, we see things as they are, we understand Mm -hmm. ourselves, 
our emotions are our emotions are able to be released deeper feelings of devotion and calm can arise and we can really have a yogic or a vedic uh, life so sattva guna is the foundation of vedic counseling as well as uh, yoga practice mhm that's um um Really, a lovely description of the uh, that that uh, clarity of mind and awakening of intuition and um, sharpening of discernment. You know that really comes from that uh, regular meditation practice that we've been that we've been talking about. So um, we've already talked about meditation as a uh, as an important practice. But is there another practice that you would recommend uh, for people to increase sattva guna? Well, essentially, we need to lead a sattvic life on all levels, and there are recommendations for that in yoga and Ayurveda in uh, great uh, detail. There's, of course, the famous sattvic diet, which is the vegetarian uh, natural diet that aims at uh, causing minimum harm to the uh, creatures that we are involved with for producing our food. Uh, there are sattvic sensory impressions like those we receive from the world of nature as opposed to the rajas and tamas of a lot of the entertainment world. Uh, there are the sattvic impressions born of uh, deeper art and uh, deeper communications. So cultivating sattvic impressions is one of the main tools for calming the mind and making sure that we have a mental nature that's not uh, turbulent or disturbed. In pranayama, we always tell the student, you must, first of all, cultivate a sattvic prana, which is a calm, balanced, surrendered prana in harmony with the whole of life. If in pranayama you're holding an aggressive prana or you're holding a disturbed prana, then that is not a yogic pranayama and that will not, that prana will not help you in the long run. You need to be able to turn that prana uh, within having sattvic thoughts and affirmations, wishing peace and well-being and harmony and happiness for all beings, even beings and uh, people we may not like or we may disagree with on certain issues, promoting these positive energies. And in the, the yoga tradition, there's always what is called the practice of this uh, pratipaksha bhavana, or countering negative thoughts with positive thoughts, uh, mm. hatred with love, anger with forgiveness, uh, enmity with friendship. There is a whole uh, science and art of cultivating our thoughts in a positive nature. And then for cultivating sattva guna, we also have to create space, silence, solitude, letting go, creating the space for the divine light and sattvic energy to come into us rather than thinking that we can accomplish this through our personal willpower or our personal uh, intention. So it's something we have to let happen and let go. And this requires having a more sattvic idea as to who we are, which is going back to our soul purpose and connecting to our inner self, uh, recognizing that our outer identity in this life, our name, our job, it's like the clothes we wear. It is not our true being. Going back Mm -hmm. to our core inner being, which is a spiritual aspiration, a point of divine immensity and connection to the universe as 
a whole. So there's quite a few things that we can do at the level of sattvic lifestyles. Our books, books on Ayurveda, yoga, often uh, discuss these things in uh, more uh, detail. And whenever we introduce consciousness into what we do, we bring in sattva guna. What a fantastic list that you went through there. So thank you so much for that. Um, as we get toward the close of the program, I wanted to give you each uh, at least uh, uh, maybe two minutes uh, to talk about things that are coming up. So uh, do you want to go ahead and start, Vamadeva? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we, are, we continue with various programs and activities and teachings and practices uh, from uh, throughout the world. Uh, soon uh, we have three courses already, uh, yoga, Ayurveda and Vedic Astrology online courses. We're introducing uh, soon a new Vedic counseling uh, course that will be like a kind of like other courses, like almost a university course with textbooks, and also there will be audio uh, instruction and uh, additional material for people who wish to go more into depth into these studies. I'm a bit of a professorial person, as those who know <laughs> know. And so we offer generally more advanced training for people who have some background or have a, are looking in a more uh, practitioner or deeper nature. But much of this knowledge is also uh, very important for everyone. So we are promoting the cause of Vedic education here uh, in India. We're working with a number of national organizations uh, there on educational historical issues. We need to bring back this idea of education as a way of cultivating higher awareness rather than mm-hmm. information and cultivating yeah. communication with at the heart level of the deeper self rather than just simply at ordinary communication uh, levels, and then we have a soon we'll have another book on the yoga of consciousness. That's uh, something in the hmm. works, maybe in another six months. Wow, that sounds great. So, uh, Yogini Shambhavi, how about you? Why don't you give us a, a couple of things that are coming up for you? Oh, thank you, Laurel. So, our yoga shakti programs and retreats worldwide really guide us in continuing a path of deeper awareness and learning. You know, and um, So we have two beautiful programs coming up in March. Uh, The first is the Yoga Tandava Experience. This is more a sacred uh, tour from March 3rd to 11th, uh, eight nights. And we'll be going through um, Delhi, Kurukshetra, Amritsa, you know, the Shakti Pitas of Western Himalayas, the Kangra Valley, Dharamshala, and Rishikesh. So this sacred sojourn is really to experience the deeper self and understand one's karma and, and the leela or divine play of our individual uh, spiritual, uh, you know, uh, journey. And in Dharamshala, if uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is there, we will, uh, would love to have, um, you know, His darshan. And then we mm-hmm. will be... Uh, ending uh, with the darshan of the serene uh, golden temple in Amritsa and then unwind in Rishikesh. And after that, we go to the Ganga Yoga Shakti retreat, which is from March 11th to 16th, five nights. And here we aus- um, celebrate uh, Shakti, you know, the auspiciousness um, of the Night of Holi, where uh, we empower our inner Shakti 
on the sacred banks of Ma Ganga above Rishikesh with mantras, meditation, teachings. And, um, and we need to, too. we do need to stop there. I, it sounds wonderful. And I will refer listeners again to your website for more information. I think this is all on the vedanet.com uh, website. Right. So again, v-e-d-a-n-e-t.com. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, and we've been discussing a new year and a new you with special guests, Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. You can find out more about them, as I mentioned, on the website vedanet.com. So thank you so much, Vamadeva and Yogini Shambhavi, for joining us. Thank you, Laurel. It's a great honor and a great inspiration to be with you. It's always an amazing experience. Thank you so much. And for listeners, uh, there are uh, actually uh, three or four more episodes with uh, with our two guests uh, at our um, archive page at unity.fm. So if you go there and you enter in um, Vamadeva or uh, Yogini Shambhavi, you will find uh, those episodes. Please join us next week when Yogacharya O'Brien will be joined by Dr. Edwin Bryant, who's author of The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, a new edition, translation and commentary. The program will focus on yoga's path to living with higher purpose. Find out how insights and practices from the Yoga Sutras can help us live a spiritually conscious, fulfilled life in today's complex world. If you're listening in January 2017, I did want to make you aware that it's not too late to sign up for Dharma 365, Dharma 365, a year of living purposefully. This life-changing year-long web course with Yogacharya O'Brien will help you to live your higher purpose with heart and meaning every day. For more information and to sign up for the course, click on the Dharma 365 link on the CSE homepage at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. 
the teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 